0: But I'd like to introduce our first keynote speaker for this morning, uh, Julie Evans, CEO of Project Tomorrow. We're doing some phenomenal work there uh, with the Speak Up 2010 uh, research on taking the pulse of young learners and what they're doing with technology and being really a voice for that group. Uh, But some background on Julie, other than the CEO for Project Tomorrow, She was named the top 10 most influential people in education technology in 2008. She's on the advisory boards for the Horizon Report, both the K-12 and the higher ed uh, research on that. And also is now on the board for the ISTE, the International uh, Technology and Education Group. So without further ado, let me uh, introduce Julie for you and uh, for a very informative session. Thanks.
1: Well, thank you very much, Dan. I'm so thrilled to be here with you today. It looks like a great conference that you have in front of you, wonderful set of different programs and a wonderful exhibit area, and I'm thrilled to have uh, this opportunity to be with you this morning. So what we're gonna be talking about this morning is some of our latest research from the Speak Up National Research Project about what K-12 students are thinking about in terms of the use of technology for learning. Uh, And in particular, I'm going to introduce you to a particular profile of K-12 learner that we call the free agent learner. So whether you're here from a K-12 district or here from a higher education institution, I think you're going to find that this information about the free agent learner and where the expectations of that student for a technology-enabled learning environment is going to be very interesting. So the types of questions we're going to address this morning are what are the expectations of K-12 students for a technology-enabled learning environment for 21st century learning? How does that student vision for learning compare with the realities in the classroom today? How well are the schools meeting those expectations? What does that mean for your particular institution? And oh, by the way, who is this free agent learner? So to do that today, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the Speak Up National Research Project, in case you're not familiar with it, explain to you our interpretation of what the students have told us, what their vision is for 21st century learning, we'll talk about those classroom realities, and then get into some of the trends that we're watching from an education technology standpoint, including this free agent learner, and hopefully we'll have a little time for questions either here or afterwards, I'm gonna be in booth 115. So this is a fascinating quote that we picked up from a student a couple years ago, about two years ago, when we asked students to define for us what 21st century learning meant to them. You know, we've been talking about that term, 21st century learning, for quite a while now, and I don't know about you, but it's starting to get a little blurry in my mind. What do we really mean by that? And so this particular student, it actually was an 11th grade girl from Pittsburgh, I think hit it hit the point in a couple key areas. Let me just highlight for you the areas that I think are most uh, relevant. She talks about the fact that she and her peers need to be able to read and understand new information at a level never before prevalent before. She talks about what they must learn in essence is to learn. And that's really interesting, particularly in terms of thinking about technology-enabled learning. And then I love this last line where she says what's really most important is that they're active participants in the process of inquiry and learning. So as we go through some of the data findings today, why don't you keep in the back of your head this quote from this student, so articulate, so thoughtful, so well-meaning in terms of what she believes 21st century learning is. And we'll take a look at what that means in the overall student vision. So in case you're not familiar with the Speak Up National Research Project, let me tell you a little bit about that since that's the data that we're going to be talking about here this morning. It is a national project. that's conducted every year in the fall with online surveys for K-12 students, teachers, parents, administrators. This year, we had a special survey for librarians. It is conducted through online surveys, facilitated through K-12 schools or districts. So we don't get a random student or a random teacher. Entire schools, entire districts participate in the survey. There is no fee for the participation. We're a nonprofit organization. We make this available as a service. We take the national data and share it with policymakers, uh, developers, program people all around the country, including Congress. And in fact, on last Friday, I was in Washington, D.C., and presented the same findings I'm sharing with you today to Congress last Friday. We do that to impact policy on education. We also give back to every participating K-12 school or district their own locally aggregated data and the national data to use for benchmarking and also to inform local programming. Since we started this in fall of 2003, we've had about 2.2 million online surveys submitted to us during that time frame from about 30,000 schools, not only here in the United States, but actually worldwide. The types of questions that are on the Speak Up survey are what you would imagine. It's about learning and teaching with technology. We ask the different audiences specific questions. We ask parents about internet safety. We ask teachers about professional development. And we ask all the respondents to give us commentary on the quote unquote emerging technologies that we're finding in the marketplace, whether that's mobile devices, online learning, digital content, Web 2.0, games, the whole gamut of things. We also asked all of the different responding organizations to help us design that ultimate school classroom learning space. What type of technology do they think would have the greatest impact on learning? And I'm going to share some of that data with you here this morning as well. The particular data that we're going to look at today is our data from just this past fall. So the Speak Up Online surveys from this fall, we had about 380,000 surveys that were submitted in nationwide, in the US. You can see the breakdown there of the different audiences. We did have participation from almost all 50 states. And the top 12 states are noted here of special significance, including Pennsylvania. We disaggregate our data looking at a number of different factors, most notably, is it a rural school, is it an urban school, is it a high-poverty school, is it a majority-minority school. And we Uh, take a look at all the analysis of that data in creating our national report. Here's what the breakdown is in participation from a couple of the key states that I think are represented here at the conference, be it Pennsylvania, New Jersey, or Delaware. So you can get a little bit of an idea of what the regional participation was. As we go through some of the data findings here today, I'm going to share with you some specific data from Pennsylvania, some from Delaware, some from New Jersey, and some compare and contrast with the national numbers as well. As I mentioned, on Friday, I was in Washington, D.C., and we released this report. It's the first of two reports on this year's national findings. This one was focused in on students and parents, and our second report, which will be released on May 11th, is focused in on the teachers, administrators, and librarians' data. So last Friday, we talked about the aspirations of the clients of education, and then on May 11th, the opportunity to look at who are the enablers and empowerers of education. And so if you have the opportunity, if you'd like to come join us, it is on May 11th. Okay, so all of this Speak Up data that we've been collecting since 2003, what does it have to do with the future of learning? What does it have to do with the future of education? Well, actually, what we have found is that when we look at how students are talking about using technology for learning, It really is a very nice proxy statement for how they want to address learning in general. So that if we take a look at their aspirations around the use of technology, it actually gives us a lot of clues about that future of education, how students really want to learn. So what we're going to do here this morning is I'm going to take you through some of the data, probably a small snippet of the data, uh, looking at the activities, The attitudes and the aspirations of students around using different types of technology will, in some points, look at disconnects or differences, particularly between students and teachers, parents and students, administrators and students, and as I mentioned, I'm going to leave you with some of the trends that we're looking at, including that free agent learner. Now, I am happy to make this presentation available to all of you. I can do that either through the conference or if you want to come see me in booth 115 afterwards, I would be happy to uh, take a card from you and send this to you. Okay, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to have a little bit of a warm-up exercise here, because I know it's early in the morning, and so we want to get started with a little warm-up exercise. Now, I I need to poll my audience, though, before we start the warm-up exercise. Has anyone here in the room ever been a contestant on the game show Jeopardy? Anybody? No. Okay. I think we can still do it. Don't worry. Has anyone ever seen the game show Jeopardy on TV? Oh, we're in good shape. Okay, fabulous. Okay, well, we're going to play a little version of Jeopardy, kind of a speak up version of Jeopardy. Uh, And we're going to do it as an interactive experience uh, between us. We'll call it speak up Jeopardy, shall we say. So, the category, and we only have one category, and it's called My Online Life. That's not my online life, it's the student's online life. So, you know the way Jeopardy is played. We're going to give you the answer. And then you're gonna ask the question. And remember, it has to be in the form of a question. Okay, everybody gets that? Okay. So I'm gonna help you a little bit. I'm gonna show you the answer, and then I'm gonna give you some potential what ifs or who is. Okay? And then what we're gonna do is we'll just vote in the audience. We'll just show our hands for today to see what the answer is, and we'll see if we get it right. Okay, you ready? So the category is from the student's point of view, my online life. So the very first answer is this one. So from the student's point of view, in my personal life, I use online communications. I update Facebook regularly. I play online games. I upload, download, and create media. I use Google Docs for collaborative writing. I blog and contribute to wikis. Now, what I want you to do is tell me, who is this? Who do those characteristics represent? Remember, in the form of a question, So, do we think it's a second grade boy, a sixth grade girl, a 10th grade boy, a college sophomore, or a teacher or instructor that's under 32 years of age? Okay? So, we're just going to vote by hand. Who thinks it's a second grade boy? Okay, a few. A sixth grade girl? Okay. A 10th grade boy? A few people. College sophomore? All right. A teacher or instructor under 32 years of age? OK, so it looked like the crowd favorite here was sixth grade girl then followed by 10th grade boy. OK, are you ready to find out what the answer is? Everybody's ready? It's like double Jeopardy. It actually is a sixth grade girl. OK, so let's dissect this a little bit. We'll go, kind of go off Jeopardy and dissect this a little bit. So these are the things that sixth grade girls told us from this past fall that they're doing outside of school, actively using communication tools. Now remember, sixth graders are about 12 years old. As you can see, almost 50% of them are updating Facebook regularly, even though legally they're not supposed to be on Facebook. Okay. Uh, They're playing online games. Actually, under sixth grade grade and under, we see no differentiation between girls and boys in terms of online games. They have different interests in online games, but they're all playing online games. These sixth graders, these 12-year-old girls, are big media users. And they're also doing a lot more collaborative writing, totally outside of school, not assignment-based, than maybe what you might believe. Let's go on a little bit. One of the things that we've found from the data, looking at the data over the last seven, eight years, is that in many ways, looking at what the students are doing outside of school is a very good predictor of how they would like to use technology inside a school. In fact, today's students are functioning for the rest of us like a digital advance team. Think of them as like a pace car or a trendsetter for the rest of us. So if we pay close attention to what they're doing, it actually is some really interesting hints. The other thing that we have found is that students continue to be frustrated with the unsophisticated use of technology within school. Not the lack of of the equipment, not the lack of technology, it's the way it's being used. We started in fall of 2003 with the very first Speak Up surveys and at that point we identified a digital disconnect between the way the students were living and learning with technology and how their teachers and administrators were presenting technology to them. Back in 2003, I never believed I'd be standing in front of you in 2011 and say that that disconnect not only continues, it's wider and much more persistent than ever before. Part of that is because the students are not just adopting the technologies today, they're actually doing much more adapting of those technologies for learning. So while the rest of us are still just adopting, they're adapting. What we came out with last year was this idea of a uniquely student vision for using emerging technologies, and it was based upon three key concepts. I'm going to take you through each one of these. The first one is that the students wanted to have learning that was socially based. They want to be able to leverage all the communication and collaboration tools that we know they're using outside of school within their learning life, not just for the communication capability, but actually to create a personal network of experts. That might be other students, it might be other teachers, it might be professionals in fields of expertise. They also were very interested in untethered learning, the opportunity to not be bound by their classroom walls, by their school boundaries, by their community boundaries, or by the wires that are connecting them to the school network. They really wanted to have learning that was taken in all of the different opportunities. They also were very interested in digitally rich learning. The idea of leveraging all of the rich digital content that's out there, and the ideas that the students had is that that brings in the relevancy and the context to the learning process. Not just to increase their learning potential, but actually to increase their productivity. Now what we're going to do this morning is that we're going to have a look at three key trends. And this is what we shared with Congress and in that new report. Mobile learning, online and blended learning, e-textbooks, and digital content. And all three of those encompass the social-based learning, the untethered learning, and the digitally rich. So we're going to take a little walk through, kind of a deeper dive into each one of these three key trends. The first one is mobile learning. And the number one slide I want to bring up for you around mobile learning is a question that we've been asking students almost since the beginning, which is, what is your access, personal access, to mobile devices? Now, as you can imagine, we could spend a whole session just on this particular slide, because it's fascinating. But I want to draw your eye to a couple interesting things. And by the way, this is data from Pennsylvania specifically. So if you're from Pennsylvania, this might have some resonance. Look at uh, across the line there where it says smartphone. Middle school students in Pennsylvania, about a little bit more than a quarter of middle school students told us they have their own personal smartphone, and about 42% of high school students. We also see that we have definitely reached the tipping point in terms of iPods and MP3 players. And for the very first time, we started asking students about personal access to iPads. And look at that really interesting number here in Pennsylvania in terms of 13% of kindergarten, first, and second graders told us they had a personal iPad. Let me tell you a little interesting vignette. In November, I was doing a focus group. I do focus groups all around the country with students. I was doing a focus group with some fifth graders in Queens at a small school in Queens. And just, and and I have to be honest with you, some of a frivolous question on my part. I asked the students, it was one class, there was 24 students in the class, do any of you have an iPad? This was in November. Of the 24 students in that fifth grade class, 21 raised their hand and told me they had an iPad at home. The teacher was sitting in the back grading papers while I was having my little focus group, and his head shot up. And suddenly, he started to think about how he could leverage those type of devices within learning. It was really an aha moment for him. Let's talk a little bit more about this smartphone number, which is really interesting. Your Pennsylvania numbers were a little bit lower than my national numbers, just a little tiny bit. You can see about a third of middle school students and 44% of high school students told us they had a smartphone this past fall. What was most interesting to us is that was a 42% increase from fall 2009 to fall 2010. So if, we're, if any of us are waiting for this era of mobile device and mobile learning to come, I've got news for you. From the student point of view, it's already here. We asked the students, so what do you want to do with these mobile devices? If you could bring them to school, how would they help you? And the students told us about two primary ways. The first way is to increase the effectiveness of the traditional school environment. They would use these particular devices to check grades, to take notes, to access online textbooks, to use the calendaring functions. So the same type of functions they're doing, just enabled by the devices. They also told us, though, that they want to be able to take advantage of some of those other unique capabilities of these devices and extend their learning. The idea of being able to do anytime, anywhere research, you can see almost two-thirds of your students in Pennsylvania and New Jersey said that that would be something that they would use the devices for. The idea of collaboration through these devices. The idea of creating documents and sharing those documents, and also recording lectures and labs so they can be reviewed later, whether that's an audio recording or a video recording. So really some interesting expectations that the students have for using those devices. We asked the administrators, what prevents you from allowing students to use their own devices right now? If they have them, why not use them? The number one uh, response that came up from the administrators was that my teachers are not trained in how to effectively use them, which is obviously a very legitimate and realistic expectation. They also, though, talk about their concerns about network security, about theft, about digital equity issues. And this idea of digital equity issues is one that we've heard before in the field of education technology. We thought that was an interesting response from administrators. So we went to parents, and we asked parents, I'm sorry, I'm going I'm to finish this one up, and then I'll, I'll take you to the next one about parents. We asked the administrators, how likely are you this year to allow students to use their own mobile devices at school? And what we found out was the two-thirds of administrators said, no way, not going to let the kids use their own devices. Now let me tell you what the parents said. So we went to parents, and we said, well, what about your point of view? How do you feel about this? And so we asked parents, if your school allowed it, and it was to be used for educational purposes. How likely are you that you would buy a mobile device for your child to use at school? And you can see we get the total flip. Two-thirds of parents say, in fact, they would be willing to do that. When we disaggregate that data, and we look at it across several different spectrums, we see something very interesting. So for example, when we disaggregate and we look at the age of the child, we see very little difference between elementary school parents and high school parents in their interest. When we disaggregate and we look at urban, rural, and suburban communities, we see very little difference in that parent response. When we look at high minority or high poverty communities, we see very little difference in that response. What we are finding is that since parents are increasingly becoming in particular, smartphone users themselves, they're seeing a lot of the benefits associated with having those type of devices. It keeps me better organized. I can get alerts. I can get in communication with people. I can get that anytime, anywhere research capability. And so they're getting a better resonance and a, um, aptitude for how those could be used within school directly. We also asked parents, how willing are you to buy a data plan for your child? And you can see a majority of the parents said that they would buy the data plan as well. Let's talk a little bit now about online and blended learning, which was that second trend that we talked about. And one of the things that we thought was really significant was the growth in student experiences with online and blended learning. So we took a look at, over time, from 2008, 2009, 2010, What students told us were the types of experiences that we were having. And what we're seeing today nationwide is about 30% of high school students have told us they've had some type of an online learning experience. Might be a blended experience, it might be a self-study class, it might be something that's a fully online class. We asked the students, so if you haven't taken an online class, would you like to? And I pulled for you your data, both your grades 3, 4, and 5, as well as your middle school data for Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. And you can see, even at the younger grades, lots of interest in terms of taking an online class, as well as at the middle school years. We asked the students, so what's holding you back? If you're interested in taking an online class, where are the barriers, where are the obstacles? What the students told us were mostly institutional barriers. I don't know about the classes offered at my school. My school doesn't offer classes. I don't know how to sign up. I don't know who to go to talk to about online learning. Now, in my focus groups with high school students about online classes and the barriers that they face, quite often the high school students will point to one particular office that they consider a barrier to their interest in online learning. Does anybody know what particular office that might be? It's the guidance office. Uh, What they're finding is that many of their academic advisors or guidance counselors are not familiar with online learning and in some cases are discouraging them from taking online classes, even if it's offered at their school. We asked the students, so why take an online class? What is your motivation? What's your personal value proposition around online learning? We found something really interesting. For high school students, it's around the traditional things that we've been talking about with online learning for a while. I can take that class not offered, I can maybe get some college credit, it fits into my schedule better. But for the middle school students, very interesting. They're much more interested in changing the learning paradigm. So they look at an online class as a way to get extra help in a subject that they're struggling in that they'll be more comfortable asking questions in that environment. They'd be in control of their own learning. They could work at their own pace. They have a really strong self-awareness of the benefits beyond the convenience benefits. And we thought that was really interesting in terms of our middle school students. Okay, so another Jeopardy opportunity here. We're still in the same category, my online life. And so our response is, the answer is, students' favorite tool for collaborating with peers on school projects and assignments. So what type of an online tool do the students say they want to use? So what is, in the form of a question, here's our options. Online chat, Skype, email, instant messaging and text messaging, or Facebook? How many people think it's an online chat? Skype? Few people. Email? You? Instant messaging and text messaging. OK? Social networking, Facebook. OK, so it looked like here, just my scan of the audience, it looked like it was Facebook was number one, and then maybe instant messaging and text messaging number two. Okay, so you ready? It's actually instant messaging and text messaging. Now the numbers all came up high. So those of you that chose Facebook, it was right up there as well. And even email still is continuing to have some resonance with the kids. But that idea of instant messaging and text messaging, that goes right back to the mobile devices that they have, the opportunity to use those type of devices, not only to communicate, but to collaborate with their peers. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about e-textbooks and digital content as our third area. We asked students, and we've been doing this now for about three or four years. We asked students, so if you could design the ultimate online digital e-textbook, whatever you want to call it, what types of features and functionality would you like to have in that e-textbook? This came from focus group work that we did with students where students told us they were not looking for the new textbook of the future to be a CD that came with the traditional textbook. They also were not looking for a digital reader version of the textbook. They're really looking for something much, much different. And what the students told us they're looking for is some type of a new, we'll use the textbook within quotation marks, that was interactive, highly relevant, had the opportunity for to facilitate the sort of collaboration, and most importantly, had the opportunity to personalize the learning process. So what I pulled out for you today is a little bit of the data from middle school students in particular, as well as middle school parents, about how they would design that ultimate e-textbook. Once again, this is a very nice reflection about how students want to embrace learning in the future as well. So in terms of being untethered, the students told us that they definitely want built into that textbook a whole range of different communications and collaboration tools. And as you can see, and I did this on a gender basis for you as well, both girls and boys were interested in chat rooms that have video capability within those textbooks. So they could once again collaborate not only with their own classmates but maybe with other students that were using the same textbook in other areas to be able to share some information. Parents, that's my pink line up here, middle school parents were most interested in having online tutors. Now this may uh, come home for all of you. You know when it's 8.30, 9 o'clock at night and your child's struggling with some type of a concept. Uh, You want to be able to hit one button and get that online tutor that can help them right then with that particular concept. In terms of facilitating social-based learning, all three, parents, students, and um, girls and boys, were interested in online classes. Um, Students were much more interested in, as you would imagine, being able to download that whole interactive textbook to that mobile device, to their cell phone. All three of the audiences were also interested in that idea of self-assessments, little quizzes and self-assessments that the students could take periodically through the textbook experience, not to hand in for a grade, but so that they knew where they were in the knowledge acquisition process. It's part of this ongoing theme that we're seeing amongst our students today of driving their own educational destiny. Today students feel very much a right and a responsibility to drive that destiny themselves, so they need to know where they are in the knowledge acquisition process. And also, of course, in terms of digital content, lots of interest in virtual labs, video clips, links to real-time data, even the idea of games, animations and simulations, and for the students, the idea that there could be 3D content that's part of that. Once again, from the student perspective, the idea of all this rich digital content is to increase that relevancy and context around the learning experience. All of this talk about digital content quite often brings up conversations about the information and media skills that students are learning. And we thought it was interesting to pull both students and teachers about which types of information and media skills they thought were most important. And we thought it was really interesting. We pulled for you the Pennsylvania teachers and student data here. And the one I want to draw your eye to is this ability to produce digital media reports. That might be blogs. It might be vlogs, It might be websites. It might be all types of multimedia. And we see right there one of those disconnects that we talked about where only about a quarter of the teachers think that's an important media literacy skill, and yet over a third of the high school students felt that was an important skill to have. Okay, our last opportunity here with our Jeopardy game, once again, in the same category. Maybe this is final Jeopardy, I'm not quite sure. The number one way students, number one way to get students interested and engaged in science, in particular, as a curricular area. This, once again, is from the student's point of view themselves. So I'm going to give you a couple options. It's a what is. So having a teacher that's excited about science, creating multimedia presentations of their findings, doing real research using online databases, using animations, or reading the science textbook. Which one do you think the students told us was their number one way to get more engaged, more interested in learning science? How many people think it's having a teacher who's excited about science? Okay. How about creating multimedia presentations? That one seems to be a strong favorite. Doing real research. Okay. Using animations? Reading the science textbook? Wrong conference, I know. Um, Only about I will tell you before I show you the answer, uh, less than a fifth of the students have told us that reading the science textbook is a viable means. It's actually doing the question, in the form of a question, what is doing real research with online databases? That again gets back to that context, the relevancy, the idea of drawing in real research using the real tools that real scientists use, that's what students told us was the number one way that would get them more engaged in science. So I've taken you a little bit of a walk through our social-based learning, our untethered learning, the digitally rich learning, all about the student vision. Let's take a look now at what the realities are from the student perspective as to what's happening in their actual K-12 classroom. We asked the students, do you face obstacles using technology at school? And the, two, the number one and number two responses are the ones that are most telling because they're very reflective of what the reality is in classrooms today. The first one is those school filters and firewalls. The long response is that it's not just about blocking the social networking site, in this particular case it's about blocking websites that the students feel they need to have access to to do their work. That has been either our number one or number two since we started the survey in 2003. Now the next one, which you see is right up there, right next to it in terms of the student interest, is I can't use my mobile device. Again we're at a tipping point in terms of students having access, students realizing the benefits, or at least the perceived benefits of using such devices, and thus, that's an obstacle for them. Now, a little bit further down, I wanna draw your eye to teachers limit our technology use. This one bubbled up on our survey as one of the top five just a couple years ago. It does not mean teachers don't have the skills. That was a different response. This is deliberate actions that teachers are taking to limit technology access. In my teacher focus groups, I'm hearing more and more about teachers' concerns over liabilities with the internet, and thus a little bit of a pullback in terms of those type of activities. Now the flip of that other question is, so what would make make it easier for your school make it easier for you to use technology at your school. And again, we hear from the students, I'll give us greater access to the websites we need, let me use my own mobile device, let me bring in my laptop if I have it. Even a third of the students say, you gotta give me more electrical outlets, I have got a lot of stuff I need to charge. This past fall, we asked a a new question on the survey. Once again, trying to get to the state of the realities in the K-12 school or classroom so that we could better understand how that vision matched up with the realities. So we asked all the respondents to, give us uh, their point of view on this particular statement. My school's doing a good job of using technology to enhance learning and student achievement. And all the respondents had the opportunity to agree or disagree with that statement. So I'm gonna share with you some of our national data, and I particularly took, so that it was all within the same context, high schools. So we're gonna take a look at high school principals, high school students, high school parents, and high school teachers, okay? So what we hear from, the adults uh, is some pretty strong statements about three-quarters of the high school teachers and a little bit less of high school principals said yes, we believe our school is doing a good job of using technology. Parents, a little bit of a softening of that response. Now we're going to hear from the high school students. Are you ready for this? Less than half of the high school students agree with that statement. And that does not matter whether we disaggregate that by boys or girls, by students that are high-tech users or not high-tech users. So we definitely still continue to have this disconnect. The perception that the adults have about the use of technology is very different than the perception that the students have. And that brings us right back to that sophistication of the use. So I told you at the beginning my favorite question or one of my favorite questions on the survey is where we ask the respondents to help us design that ultimate school. So what I want to share with you is some of the technology tools and services that we heard from the different respondents about that ultimate school. And the real key thing in this part of the conversation is are we on the same page? If we're interested in developing and executing that shared vision for the future. We need to all be on the same page. So let's take a look and see which of the technologies were on the same page and which ones we still have a disconnect. So in terms of some of the mobile learning technologies, the idea of using laptops appears that most of us, both parents, students, and administrators, are on the same page. The idea of bringing my own device to school is still the purview of the students, middle school and high school students, Um, We actually had in our survey only about 5% of administrators that said they were even considering a bring your own technology uh, approach to mobile learning. We see a lot of administrator interest in iPads and smartphones as well. In terms of online learning, very interestingly, as we saw with the e-textbook, parents are most interested in this idea of online tutors. Lots of strong uh, synergies around online classes, but not so much about the idea of chat rooms for students. Lots of interest on the student side, as we talked about before, not so much on the parents and administrators. And then finally, in terms of digital content, we see lots of strong synergy again around e-textbooks with parents actually out in front on the e-textbooks but not so much around the games. The students are much more interested in the games and even the internet-wide access, Wi-Fi access on campus has the votes of the administrators and the students' parents are a little held back on that. For the first time, we asked the respondents, well, what about this new concept of adaptive software, software that's smart enough to know where the students are in the process and can make it either harder or lessen the the rigor based on the student achievement. And you could see that got a lot of strong votes from the administrators and the parents. So the bottom line is that today's students are most interested in enabled, engaging, and empowered learning. And let me take you through some of those trends and then introduce that free agent learner and then we'll still have a little bit of time for some questions. So the type of trends that we're continuing to watch under this big umbrella of enabled, engaging, and empowered learning are uh, a couple different things continuing to look at those disconnects, also looking at this spectrum of digital nativeness. You know, I did a lot of disaggregation of the data for you here today looking at sixth graders. It's a really interesting subset to look at those middle school years. We also have found, as I mentioned before, that today's students are much more into adapting the technology, not just adopting it. So a particular vendor or manufacturer may have a particular idea in mind for how this technology is going to be used in the classroom. What's really fascinating is to see how the students are turning it 180 degrees and using it in a much different way, quite often to meet a need that they don't feel that's being met in a different way. We also find that the idea that everyone is a content developer is very important to these students and something that we're watching in terms of the idea of leveraging that content development process as a learning process. I will also tell you that for today's students, and this is a key trend for the students, the idea of informal and formal learning is totally blurred today. For today's students, learning is a 24-7 enterprise. School is a little tiny part of that. But the internet is a bigger part of that. So the idea that for many of us school was the formal part and maybe going to a museum or an after-school program was the informal part doesn't have the same meaning for today's students. It's also um, the other point I want to make up on the trends is that for a lot of us when we talk about the value of technology within learning, we talk about students are more engaged. So when we ask administrators or teachers about the potential value of mobile devices, they'll say the students would be more engaged if we had a mobile device. When we talk about games, students would be more engaged if there was a a gaming component to the education process. Actually, when I talk to students, they give a little bit of a lip service to that engagement story, talk much more about productivity. They actually use business terms, such as if I had this technology to use, it would make me more efficient, more effective. I could ha- get more information. I could be a better collaborator. They're actually beyond engagement. They're into productivity, which would be about the same type of ways that we would talk about that technology. So let me introduce you to my friend, the technology-enabled free agent learner. We're stalking the free agent learner in our data. And so I'm sharing with you the beginning snippets of seeing this profile come up, but I think it's relevant not only for our K-12 districts, but also very much for the higher ed institutions as well. Some of the key characteristics of this free agent learner is that they are driven by their own self-direction of the learning process. They take great heed in the idea that they need to be responsible for their own learning outcomes whether that is something that can be delivered to them through their school or class or teacher or whether they have to go out and find it on their own. They don't feel the same natural need to be tethered to traditional education. Um, They are very much looking at the power of connections and connectedness. Where are the experts that I need to bring into my expert network to be able to have the types of learning experiences that I'm interested in, whether or not that dovetails in with the school curriculum or not. They also are very much into the experiential learning. And in fact, the free agent learners tell us that in many ways the process of learning, particularly the process of creating content, is much more important to them than the outcome. Now that obviously has some really interesting ramifications for assessment. Because the students are looking at that process of learning as being much more important whether or not the product meets the particular rubric. It's more about that process itself. So some of the key characteristics that we're seeing in one particular profile of the free agent learner are these. They are going online to look for self-directed learning opportunities. So the students tell us that they're interested in a particular topic that isn't covered in their class, or isn't covered completely in their class, and thus they're going out on their own and looking for that type of content. They're finding podcasts and videos to use to teach themselves. They're also creating those same type of media to share their knowledge with other students. They're using their social networking site to find academic help, and also using some of the online writing tools such as Google Docs. Now, it may surprise you to find out who this particular profile is, but the particular profile that we're seeing on the leading edge of these free agent learners are actually in our middle school classrooms today. Our middle school students seem to be much more driven to more highly leveraging these online tools to drive their own educational destiny than even their slightly older high school peers. It's really interesting to see the data results on that. So we start out with the questions about the expectations of K-12 students for 21st century learning. We did a little bit of a comparison with some of the realities from the students, and I introduced you to the free agent learner. I wanna leave you now with a new set of questions before we open it up to any of your insights and what this might be some takeaways that you can take on to some of your other sessions today to think about, to have conversations with your colleagues, to take back to your institutions. So what does this mean? What does this student vision mean for our institution or our district? Have you seen some of these free agent learners in your classroom? I did a presentation uh, in September, and I had a gentleman come running up to me. He said, I have one. I have one in my home. It was, it was sort of a life-changing moment. They, uh, he and his wife had been struggling with, uh, why was their daughter such a different learner? And now he knows that she's a free agent learner. Does your operational plan, does your technology infrastructure, does the way that your faculty is addressing learning, is it addressing or approaching or meeting these students where they're learning currently? And are you setting up the plans to address this new generation of learners that are coming up from this new free agent profile? So what does all this mean in terms of your vision for the future? As I said, I wanted to start with some questions and then leave you with some questions, particularly as the opening keynote. If you're interested in some of the Speak Up data, once again, I'll be in 115. if you want to come over and chit chat with me. We have a lot of our data on our website. We are very good about making a lot of the data available On our website, there are podcasts, there's webinars, there's presentations, there's our brand new report that we just released on Friday is already up, as well as tomorrow, there'll be a podcast from that briefing in DC. We also do evaluation services, and of course, I'd love to have you all participate if you're interested in Speak Up 2011. So thank you very much. So I think we we still have a little bit of time for questions, yes ma'am. I think, I think there is, to, so the question was, there was a comment about acceptable use policy and then also about the online tutors coming in through the chat rooms and, and where is there a disconnect there. I believe there still is a disconnect there. I think that um, that's where the parents are very interested in the online tutors coming in through the textbook because that then gives them that safety and security. So I I believe they know that that's happening. And it's amazing. It's amazing in my focus groups when the students tell me all the online tutors that they're finding. Some of them are just other students. Some of them are uh, actual tutors. All kinds of different opportunities. On the acceptable use thing, I heard something at a conference I was at just a couple of weeks ago where some school districts are actually changing some of their terminology away from acceptable use to responsible use and starting to think about what is responsible use and putting it almost going with this idea of the students being the self-directed learner and how do we teach responsible use, not just what can you do and not do. So sort of a different perspective there. Yes, ma'am. I noticed on your data that the, uh, uh, the, the students were really interested in the chat room and the, and the administrators and parents were not interested in the chat room, and yet that is where the tutors are. Do you, do you think that the um, parents and administrators have sort of a generational problem with yes. chat rooms? Because in the past, yes. that's where kids would get in trouble and be stalked and have danger. They think a chat room equals danger. Do you think that's still the I case? Think, I think that's absolutely true. I also think a lot of what we have seen in many of the... Um, Uh, emerging technologies where we see that synergy between the adults and the kids. If you look at it, in many ways those are where parents, teachers, or administrators are having personal experiences with those same tools themselves. So uh, some of the stuff around online learning, for example, we saw a huge increase in administrators and teachers are taking online classes for their own professional development, thus that's fueling their interest in online learning. Uh, We have a lot of parents out there that have become gamers and so they're getting more and more interested in gaming. So I think you're absolutely right. I think some of the chat room stuff that was the chat room activities of 10, 15 years ago still is leaving a bad taste in people's minds. And, and that they don't have that firsthand experience of some of the immediate value associated with it. But it's really interesting to track. We also have been tracking um, teachers, administrators, and parents having, for example, smartphones. And so we definitely see, when they have a smartphone, where they say they're an active smartphone user and they've done this, this, and this with their smartphone, their interest and their value proposition around using mobile devices just skyrockets. So there definitely is a correlation on the adult side in terms of that personal use. Any other questions? Good. Well, thank you so much, folks. It's been great to be here with all of you today. I've really enjoyed the experience. I'll be around the whole rest of the day and look forward to chatting with you some more. Thank you.